Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I think at this point, we're already on a trajectory and to try to stop that trajectory would just be a disservice to both us and our toxic listeners. Yeah, yeah. A trajectory does imply forward momentum. <laughs> do, would you disagree that we're, do you think we're not moving forward as a podcast? No, I think, um, I would say as a podcast, we're moving forward as uh, intros to the podcast. I do think there, it, it could use some punching up at times. Well, of course, you know, uh, but I would argue this is you know, something that is built organically, you know, yeah. two people bouncing off of each other. And, you know, I'm coming in with B, it's sort of on you to come in with, uh, uh, I'm coming with A, it's on you to come in with B, and then yeah. together we'll find C. Sure. Is sort of how I see it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, um, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely don't see it that way. But that's good to know. Um I have discussed this off mic. I feel out of it today. Yeah, you know, if I can be completely honest with you, you've come in with a bizarre energy. I know. And the thing is, here's what happened. So we we got on the call with our guest and we were talking kind of off off mic. And I kept saying things that did sound strange. I was like, this is not how I normally talk. I'm sa- I, I sound weirdly self-conscious, but then I try to make up for that by saying something that's completely kooky. Then I try to make up for that by then being like insecure. And then I, I, I at every stage, I'm trying to overcompensate for a mistake I made just previously. Yeah, it's a, it's snowballing for sure. It's and- a snowball effect. It is a vicious cycle, one could say. Sure. 
And, and I and I and I have to be honest with you. I don't know how to stop. I now the, the train has <laughs> left the station, and I don't know how to become normal again. Well, I think it's all about like you need to simplify. You need to take a couple steps back, take a couple breaths. I, you know, you rolled in and you hinted at some sort of awful weekend. I know, and and you didn't even address that part. You you jumped straight to Hollywood talk, which right. you know made me kind of uncomfortable. There's no hey, how are you? Sort of like what did you do yesterday? Just sort of like job, 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 job. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Well, yeah, I came I in and mentioned two specific, two different uh, career related things. Yeah. And it was like, you know, I'm not dropping career stuff left and right. Like, I'm just trying to, like, have a human relationship with you, my right. co-worker. Um, <laughs> right. Well, in my defense, it was one positive thing and one negative thing. So I did first open with kind of like, hey, guess what? Yeah, sometimes I get jobs. And then I closed <laughs> with, but I'm useless, you know. <laughs> sure, sure. I guess, you know, I guess if you're feeling self-conscious about sort of the way you're coming off and yeah. um, the direction we're going in, don't forget that you have agency over um, where this all goes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting way to put that because one of my agents did just quit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, uh, truly three back. days ago. <laughs> <laughs> wow, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness! Um, that might be part of um, part of the part of why this is my mood today, huh? Well, but it's um, okay. Are you sure? No. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about some of the things we wanted to discuss in our intro. Okay. Uh, our the Stradio Lab inbox has been a wild west. Yeah, it's sort of a um, a free bulletin for unlike healthy people to message us whatever they're feeling at any yes. given time. Right. When we, you know, made an email address and said, please email us whenever you feel like it. That's not exactly what we meant. Uh, you know, we wanted things that sort of pertain to our podcast. Uh, right. Well, so in that spirit, let's go, let's go through the first, I would say this does pertain to our podcast, but I would also say as a, as a, an additional comment that it has gone too far. So, as longtime listeners of the podcast know, in one of our first episodes with Celeste Yim, Celeste theorized that our ideal listener is someone named Mix, as in MX, Emma, and they are a, their pronouns are either she or they, and they are a recent grad of Bard College listening to the, <laughs> <laughs> listening to the podcast while doing meal prep for a stew. So... That is, and this is part of the Stradio Lab mythology. I think we are, you know, we have certainly discussed whether certain people are or are not mix Emma. Mm -hmm. People have emailed, in fact, someone emailed us with a um, novelty email address whose name was Mix Emma, which I did think was a really nice touch. That was a good. But commitment. this is now someone who I will read their uh, first email to us. The subject line is, why do you keep talking about me on your podcast? I don't even know you, question mark. This is from someone, I'm not going to say uh, their full name, but the first name is Emma. And this is the email. Dear gaze at Stradiolab. Wow. Hi. Super confused about how my name stays in your mouths. I feel like I tend to mind my own business, constantly, constantly busy with my important work and emails, etc. Yet week after week, Emma, 
parentheses, my name, and Mix Emma, parentheses, seems really similar to my name, are just continually mentioned and at no end. Sure, it's true. I do meal prep alone, listening to Stradio Lab, but is this a reason to ridicule? Mock even? I am in fact a recent college grad, but I did not go to Bard. My school, NYU Gallatin for Individualized Study, <laughs> does not have a farm, but only millions of dollars. Get your facts straight if you're going to be so obsessed. I guess I'll give the benefit of the doubt. Maybe I'm wrong, or maybe I'm just another simple queer bisexual listener peeking out from under the eraser-like thumb of the gay cis man. Interesting and interested. Hoping to discuss more or for some sort of explanation. Mix Emma. So I read this and I was frightened. You know, uh, I I don't want um, some stranger being randomly mad at us who's also a fan of us. You know, if if I'm murdered by a fan, I would hope it's not a fan of my podcast. I, you know, I would hope it would be for for bigger, more grand reasons. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I okay. Read the second one. Well, hold on. I do want to say if I am murdered by a fan of the podcast, I would like it to be Mix Emma. Like that does seem appropriate. I wouldn't want it to be like a random guy named Tyler or something. Like I, if you're gonna murder us, it would be nice if it was from the character we created. That's anyway, true. So then this is now weeks later. In the meantime, I posted a photo of the Fred Armisen character, Regine, with the caption, um, sorry, I can't be her. And this is the response that this uh, that Mix Emma sent us. <laughs> OK, <laughs> the greeting is all comma. That George Severus posted that photo of me on Twitter today was insane. Huge invasion of privacy. No words. I don't <laughs> want to hear more excuses. But the fact you won't just look me in the eyes and talk about it, parentheses me, is so crazy. What are you trying to hide? <laughs> you don't want the pod listeners to know that you have attacked me time and time again? I get it. I have bangs. That's scary, but it's real. No more hiding now. Now that I've been doxxed, <laughs> I guess. Would love to address the slander. Uh, peace sign emoji, mix Emma. And then there is a photograph attached of just a forehead with black bangs. That is a selfie of this person. So you you know you kind of guffawed when I mentioned being murdered, but <laughs> this doesn't this I'm getting Joker vibes. I, I do want to paint honest. a picture because this doesn't come across when I read it. The font the font size in this email keeps changing. <laughs> I I'm so I'm reading one two three. It changes at least seven times. For instance, in the part where it goes, I get it, I have bangs, that's scary, but it's real. The words bangs, scary, and real are progressively larger. I'm shaking. <laughs> I'm shaking, I'm shivering, I'm looking into moving, I'm I'm trying to I know well, I also am thinking, you know, this is someone who um, you know, I think much like the Joker, uh, or in fact, since it's mixed Emma the Joker, but it's with an X. So sure. it's kind of like joke, sir. Uh, I would say much like the Joker, it's someone who is radicalized by their own sense of humor, <laughs> which is very dangerous and has happened to many people I know. That is dangerous. Um, so what I'm worried about is, you know, there is this disconnect between what is a joke and what's real. So what if now that I said I would actually welcome being murdered by Mix Emma, they in fact do show up at my apartment? I think it's likely. I think, you know... By giving this person an even larger platform of reading the email on the podcast, I'm afraid that they're going to get more powerful and think of themselves, I don't know, in an even grander sense. Yeah. 
Well, thankfully, we have a forensic expert with us on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Should we, in fact, go, speaking of forensics experts, should we go into the other one or should we save it for the next episode? Which other one? The other email that's even more unhinged. The one from the mold? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you have, no, this one's really funny. Okay, we have to do it. Okay, Guy, uh... <laughs> Please stand by. Guy, I'm sorry, but you are on pause because you this, are on pause. This one this one really got now, me. this one's a crazy one. Okay. Because so, this one, that one's like they're playing with the humor that we have created. This one is not at all. Now I'm gonna try to uh not dox anyone involved in this email. The subject line is guest for your show, expert on mold remediation, and author of and then I won't say what the name of the book is, but it contains the word mold in it. And so this is now, okay, hi, Sam and George. I wanted to let you know about Beep, an innovative expert in mold contamination and remediation. While he is only in his 30s, he is already turning the mold remediation world on its (laughs) ear with his unique approach to this business. You may know that millions of Americans are struggling with the effects of mold exposure and their on their health. Many seek out mold remediation companies but still suffer after the job's done. That's because many conventional mold remediators are only doing part of this job. When blank does mold remediation, his procedure removes all traces of mold, including the spores they leave behind and the toxins produced by the mold. A person suffering from hypersensitivity to mold needs all three types of decontamination to regain their health. Now, there are, in fact, multiple more paragraphs that I won't read. So that email came 12 days ago. Seven days ago, we get a follow-up. Hi, just making sure you saw this. Thanks. Six days ago, hello, I've reached out a couple of times, but haven't heard back. I'd appreciate a response on my email below. Thanks. Five days ago, hello, I'm sure you're busy, but if you could respond to my email below, I can cross this off my list. Thanks. Now, I replied, dear blank, this is a comedy podcast, and our guests are comedians and writers. This does not sound like a good fit. Sorry for not getting back to you sooner. To which he replies, hi, Sam and George, thanks for your response. If by any chance you know someone who might be interested in having him as a guest, do let us know. Now... Now, this one's a weird one. Now, this one's weird. Because uh, there are... Oh, and then... Um, well, should I say the big reveal when I looked him up? I don't know if I know the big reveal. Yes, you do. Okay, then tell Thankfully me. Thankfully, Remini. <laughs> Wait, keep... Say it. Sam. Wait, say it. When you look him up, his entire social media presence is about Scientology. He's a Scientologist oh. and goes to a lot of conferences and events and um, is very into the culture, which makes me think, is mold remediation big in Scientology? Now, you know, maybe instead of because they're against psychotherapy, they're really into mold remediation. Hmm. I was um, I thought this one was kind of funny because, you know, our imagery is sort of science based um, Stradio Lab, you know, it could it's playing off of something that is uh, educational. I do um, think that's what it is. I was try- I was actually, I had this realization yesterday. I was like, the reason he's emailing is because he has seen our cover photo and nothing else and refuses to even click to read what, what it's about. It was so crazy to keep getting these messages because at first it was like, well, obviously we're going to ignore this. Like if I respond to this, that's insane. And then it's like, they kept coming. And I was like, like, wait, do I respond? Or or is this one of those things where you just like let him spin his wheels? And each time, each day that passes, he would get more and more frantic. Yeah. And then even when you did respond in your message, I was like, wait, George, that's like too bitchy. Like he's going to be mad. (laughs) (laughs) 
because you said it's like only for comedians and writers. And what if you, what if he was like, um, I am a writer. Didn't you see email one where I said I had a book about mold remediation? Well, just FYI, it's not him. He's the PR. He's the publicist for the person that has see, a book on mold this remediation. This whole email is giving me conspiracies. I feel like. Well, he yes, is, he is a literal Scientologist. <laughs> but he, I think he's pretending to be his own publicist. That's the type of crazy I'm getting. You think that he is pretending to be his own Scientologist publicist <laughs> in order yes. to get on our podcast. Yes. I have to say that's pretty flattering. <laughs> I, yeah, I think that's exactly what's going on. And I do want to say also, we've gotten, in fact, other publicist emails for actual people to be on our podcast as well. So it's it's a new day. <laughs> yeah, episode 51 and onward and upward. Um, well, I think it's time. I think it's time for episode 51 to really start. Yeah. Would you say that um, reading those emails paid off or was it boring? Well, I think we got a few laughs from our guest. And that's all you can hope for. Um, our guest, someone who is known for often being the one person to laugh at a joke at a show. <laughs> so. Yes, I have definitely been to a show where I'm getting very few laughs and um, he's been very kind. <laughs> so that does make me feel like maybe this is the podcast version of that, but yeah. but we'll kind of see. Anyway, um, Sam, take it away. <laughs> um, give it up for our um, supportive guest, <laughs> Guy Branham. I'm not supportive. I'm like deeply discriminating. I just trust my own taste and sometimes laugh when the rest of the audience is not. But sometimes yeah. the rest of the audience is laughing at trash and I am sitting in quiet judgment. Also, That's true. As someone who has dropped a significant amount of money for a book publicist who did nothing, this is a really mm. special and compelling kind of bad publicist that didn't make sense until you said the Scientologist part because I will bet you it is in-house publicity at the Church of Scientology that is reaching out to you guys, who else could be more tone deaf about how this is working? That said, the fact that you did not immediately book that man is why you will never be real Borats. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. I, I mean, mean, it's what's, true. It's what's true. straighter than mold removal? Also, I don't think mold reproduces sexually. Thus, you're in a situation where he's finally going to be hearing from people who were taking the side of the mold, you know, Whoa. to push back and say, hey, you know, that non-binary mold deserves to live too. So and do you think, Guy, that mold is the LGBTQ community of the micro <laughs> microorganism world? Uh, like, I'm going to say that there are a couple of kingdoms that are just entirely queer spaces. Um, mm -hmm. that like we as sad kingdom on Amalia have to be stuck in this world of straight supremacy. And mm -hmm. if we had just had the strength not to evolve, we could be in like a prokaryotic world where shit was just disco all the time. God, I wish I had the strength not to evolve. I know, you know, it's so, we're so focused on productivity. That's I what know. it is. And like I said before, forward momentum. I mean, even before when I mentioned forward momentum, I mentioned it as a self-evidently good thing. It's like, why not just chill the fuck out? <laughs> you know, this actually is crazy. I finally read that book that everyone was reading like maybe two years ago called like How to Do Nothing. Oh my God, yes. Um, and first of all, I can't believe you couldn't just tell by my glow that I just finished a book. 
you know, this is huge for me. Wow. <laughs> but also, you know, bragging about finishing the book feels sort of antithetical to what the book is about, which is, yeah. <laughs> which know, is doing nothing, doing nothing, sort of focusing on the present and not productivity, but just existing. You know, I think that we're in a second wave of people reading that book because I, in fact, bought it when it first came out and never read it. And I've been thinking of picking it up now. It's staring at me uh, right from my bookshelf as we speak, because I think that um, as we kind of prepare for reentering the world, it's going to be a moment of reckoning and it's going to be a moment of reconsidering uh, what our values and beliefs are. Yeah, this part of uh, quarantine feels like um, like quarantine one all over again, where I'm like, okay, this is you got to really savor these last moments like you said you were going to read some books in this time. Like you're going to get a couple of books in there in the, in the next two months. <laughs> That's very funny. I said to myself, Guy Branham, if you don't watch The Wire during this, you're simply never going to watch The Wire. <laughs> and I started trying to watch The Wire. And I was like, no. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, it's... Sh- I'm sure it's very good. Just too many, too many men at Christmas parties have told me to watch it. I think I'm aiming lower where I want to at least watch a Sopranos because I do think I would genuinely like the Sopranos mm-hmm. if I watched it, but but I haven't even gotten there yet. But I have watched multiple episodes of Jenna Lyons's HBO Max show. <laughs> what is that? Well, good question. She hires. So here's the plot of it, which I actually think is pretty revolutionary. She knows she wants to build a brand, but doesn't know what the brand sh- is going to be. So she's like, maybe it'll be a lifestyle brand, maybe it'll be a clothing brand, maybe I'll be an interior designer, maybe I'll do kind of like a pop-up that has little plants in it. She doesn't know. But what she does know is that she was going to hire a kick-ass team. So what happens in this show is that she keeps hiring people who have various different skills. So there's one person who like, his challenge is to like make a place setting for a dinner party. And then she hires him and she's like, we'll definitely have use for you later. Our next challenge is building a fireplace. It, 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 it is completely chaos but i do think it kind of speaks to our current moment where it's just like there's no there there like as long as you have um the appearance of a brand that's kind of all you need i would like to talk about the redistributive power of uh gener- generational wealth and decay like sure. and i think this takes us back around to mold that just like at that point in time when people really have the money like no vision but the money to hire consultants like that is like generational wealth breaking apart and redistributing itself into the economy. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, ultimately she is, I would say Jenna Lyons, I don't know what her- I don't um, know what she is. I don't know her deal. Oh, so, okay. So her deal is very simple, which is that she was at J. Crew for many, many years and then worked her way up and was, you know, had a, I can't remember what exactly her position was, but she was like- Wait, did she have the big glasses? Yes, she has the big glasses. She was on season two of Girls. Like, she's tall. She's a lesbian. But she wasn't a lesbian for a while. And then she, like, really publicly became a lesbian. Then got divorced and then was a lesbian. And I think, and her thing, and I do think this is somewhere where she is vulnerable on the show. This is a a, a kind of an area where she is vulnerable on the show, show. Where she is like, I kind of thought after leaving J. Crew, the world would be my oyster. Cut to five years later, I've done nothing with my life. And so now, now that I've had time to think about it, I know that I want to start some kind of brand. <laughs> yeah, she's a job creator and she's exactly. single handedly um, boosting the economy. <laughs> Guy, like- how do you think this is going? <laughs> This is really fun. I'm really enjoying getting to look into the background of your little apartments. They are oh, so God. similar while different. 
Yeah, uh, well, yeah. observing your facial hair, and really, as Sam was saying, there was a uh, a pause, so I talked, and I was like, isn't a mustache the that of hair? Like, there was a space, I filled it with hair. This is a good topic. You what guys... is a good topic? Mustaches? No, no, no. Seriously, this is a really good topic. Um, What should I do with my hair? Oh, my God. You know, like, we're at a time where it's like, okay, like, we're, you know, we're about to have a big reveal. Like, we're all going to sure. pop oh, that's out of our point. apartments. And, like, I have long hair right now, so I can kind of, I have my, my druthers. I can do whatever I want. Um, the world is my oyster. What should I do with my hair? Well, there's also the interesting point of like, when we return, it will be the beginning of a moment. Like when we return, a decade begins in earnest. And there's also like my warning cry to both of you needs to be, this time will have done its best to accelerate your middle-agedness. This like, this time will have been doing its best to say, oh, maybe you're not the um, drunk slut you always thought you were. And that's why I'm really going to strongly encourage you to um, just have a little bit of an amphetamine problem for about nine months after all of this starts, just to get things going. If you have like a pill or powder problem currently, give it a little leash. Let it have some time. (laughs) I I don't have a pill or powder problem. I do still believe myself to be a drunk slut, if I can be completely honest. That's adorable, Sam. You believe that. What have you been doing to make it happen? And I'm just saying you really need to, you know, let that spirit have its moment and fuel it with whatever you think is appropriate. Don't you you think that there is so much pent up energy that like we are just naturally going to have behave as though we have an amphetamine problem. Sure. That's a fun, cute assumption. And I'm going to say that part of you is going to be like, "Mm, but Saturday with HBO max, she sure was fun. Remember Barb and star. And like, we just need to like kill that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm going to be really strict with myself. I, you know, I've always been a very motivated person and I really think I can stay on myself to stay out Friday and Saturday. And we I do think... need to focus on our amphetamine problem and not be complacent. Yeah. No. And also, how many how many of our gay bars have died during this time? Um, is poor little Metropolitan even going to be there to try to serve you a hot dog on Sunday afternoon? Who can say? I think didn't weren't they building? They're they're going to have a big bathroom reveal. Yeah, they're going to have back. a huge bath. They're actually turning the entire place into one big bathroom. <laughs> okay, well, because the bathroom was so old and and stunk like pee so bad, and now they're going to have a big a new bathroom. You know, I just went to the Rosemont the other day for outdoor dining, and um, you know, <laughs> no, this how was the food? <laughs> you know, the specific kind of um, the specific depressing atmosphere of like a drag queen trying so hard to host a viewing of RuPaul's Drag Race UK while no one is paying attention is heightened so much when it is happening in a socially distanced and outdoor way while it is 30 degrees outside. So what was happening in this specific instance was we were outside, they were projecting it onto a wall and the drag queen was inside talking into a mic and you could just hear that from the speakers but not see who you were not see who was speaking and then she would come out do half a dance and then get so cold that she would go back inside and you'd have to like chase her with dollar bills 
you you just made me so nostalgic for how bad comedy in queer spaces is. The, oh my god! The oh worst. my god! The chatty the chatty girl in third grade energy of a queer comedy space. One time there was a show at Jesus. Was it still eleven then? I don't know. The point is, is that um, it was like a great show. Karen Kilgariff, Wanda Sykes, Margaret Cho, like, Ooh. and the gay boys were so excited, but they still couldn't understand to stop chit chatting with each other the whole time. And like, it, it honestly, what the show needed was the strong hand of somebody who understood queer spaces to be like, "Shut up! You're enjoying this. Just enjoy it." They didn't, and oh god, it needed a Julie. Oh my god, what's her name? Judy. Uh, it needed a Judy for sure. It needed a Judy. <laughs> a woman named Judy. Okay, no, I'm not thinking of Judy Gold. God, I'm so stupid. Julie Klausner? Ju- no, I, no, I'm not thinking of Julie Klausner, but that. Julie Goldman. Oh, Julie Goldman. I'm just like Julie Goldman. I once opened for her in Boston. She is someone who can come out and like and and make you. And be like, no, this is we're here to laugh. Let's can everyone just get with get on with it? I would say gay boys need a shepherd. Like when there's a comedy show, gay boys need a shepherd. And whatever you think of Bianca's comedy, it is comedy that is built for people who are chit-chatting and trying to fuck while listening to jokes. It is shepherd comedy. And I do want to add the thing with gay men in in queer comedy shows is the following. Gay men don't understand what to do with women who are not like Kate Blanchett and men who they don't want to fuck. So when they are looking at a stage and the people coming out are lesbians and gay male comedians, they have no idea what to do with that. There are only two kinds of gay men who are allowed to be on raised surfaces at gay bars. <laughs> and that is people who are hotter than you and uh, men with their genitals tucked inside of themselves who are uh, pretending to sing uh, a song. Like, that's yes. it. And anything else, it is just, why is it not me up there? I'm very funny. I that's, do an impression that's also it. Correct. That's also it. Yeah. It's like, oh, what do you think? You think you're you think you have overcome enough of your shit to actually be on a stage and have people listen to you? Do you know what this is? I'll kill you. <laughs> wow. I remember the absolute dread of having to do a show at Metropolitan and being like, there's not a single world in which this goes well. Yeah. Like there's a world in which no one sees, like people are literally too focused on their conversation that they forget that I'm up there, mm-hmm. but there is not a world where anyone laughs in a one of the, way. yeah. One of the very dark truths of comedy, especially in New York and LA is that in fact, progressive straight people are so much more supportive <laughs> than anyone <laughs> on any, anywhere in the LGBT spectrum. I, I mean, and it's, it's, it's a fundamental problem in all of our business plans is yeah. that, yes. like, the the people who would and should be our fans... I mean, the thing is, is Jewish girls, little, you know, like, like, that I can be shouty on their behalf is the closest thing I have to having somebody be like, oh, this person is representing me on stage. Uh, you know, <laughs> like, that and very, very old gay men who are just like, somebody's talking! I, yeah, I agree. <laughs> Which is why, in fact, sometimes performing on like a gay cruise for like older gay men is actually like more enjoyable than performing at at a gay bar for 20-year-old gay men. You know, and I I wonder if it's a coastal thing, too. I've never performed in, say, a Midwestern gay bar. I've never... (laughs) 
Oh, it's actually great. I've performed yeah. at gay spaces in, for instance, Bloomington, Indiana, and I have absolutely crushed. Uh, Bloomington is such a fucking delight. Also, the thing is, is that I would also say that, like, Brooklyn rooms are, like, the best gay rooms that there are. I Like, I think that there are people with actualized identities who are able to see something outside of themselves. Like... Maybe they are more judgmental of you boys because you are of their ilk, wearing adorable little shorts and having, like, (laughs) fun facial hair. But, like, I remember definitely moments of feeling like there was an audience that was over their shit enough to be able to listen to me. It's coming. More so in Brooklyn than random gay bar on the West Coast or somewhere else. 100%. Yes, I, I do think that's true. Okay, wait, since we're talking about stand-up, like, and I hate to, there's nothing um, more tragic than comedians talking about stand-up on a podcast, but how is everyone feeling about What if we got into going cars back and had to... coffee? I know what? coffee. What if we got into cars and had coffee? <laughs> hey, why not? I say. We're we're queering uh, comedians in cars having coffee. Exactly. Also, George and I started watching Seinfeld. We love this stuff. Oh, yeah, we love Seinfeld. <laughs> Um, we, Sam and I actually Columbus Seinfeld and are here to tell you it's good. Yeah, it's so good, actually. Right? Why don't people talk about this show? I interrupted, George. I'm sorry. No, I just, I, how are you feeling about getting, about things opening back up and everyone doing stand-up for the first time in a year? It's going to be so weird because there will have been no new children for like over a year. And so the whole game is still going to be filled up with us. I wonder what open mics are going to be like i also wonder what people are going to have to say the thing is is like i was in a very strange place about stand-up um since our former president was elected i was not moving forward and you know uh, much like the trying to watch a sopranos i am sort of using these ending months as like a well Branham, if you're going to do this you have to start figuring out some things to be talking I agree. I feel the same way. Um, I, yeah, I get very anxious about it, thinking about, like, the, like, I feel like I have, like, that stress dream a lot, where it's, like, the first show, like, back, and it's, like, oh, no, like, what am I even gonna do? Like, how do you even, I like, I can't, it seems so foreign to, like, remember... <laughs> like a set of jokes Mm -hmm. like that feels insane uh and i cannot if i i cannot do all i I cannot get on a stage and do jokes i wrote i mean three years ago that feeling like that feeling that thought (sighs) but you're gonna have like i'm definitely going to i'm definitely gonna have a few i know but that's why i'm like i keep being like okay tomorrow i'm gonna start right i'm gonna have i'm gonna spend the next two months writing a new half hour and then when things reopen i will be ready the thing is is that i never write like i write when i'm regularly listening to stand up i know going and watching people like other people and the thing is is when i watch it on television or anything i'm just busy being resentful of the success of the person involved (laughs) or just hating them or hating it because so much of it is terrible yeah I, I do wish we could all agree to like, like, I hate how like psychotic um, stand up comedians are where it's like, like the the lack of not wanting to have like a healthy work life balance. They're like, no, it's like the more I can get up, the better, the better, the better. And I'm like, can we all just agree to like, 
chill for a moment and like embrace that we can all be around each other and it's like no i'm gonna start doing shows before i'm even allowed like i'm just going resilient unwillingness to do anything but what they do is my favorite thing about new york club comics yes (laughs) yes that's what it is even even just a fucking panel show even just a fucking panel show they're like no all i want to do is tell the jokes that i tell But not just that, but then also thinking that is noble inherently and thinking that it is somehow political, like important politically. Yes. Like being like, I refuse to do anything different than what I'm doing now. What I'm doing now is kind of like mm, 10 year old material about dating and, uh, you know, men be like this, women be like this. And also, this is literally the most politically uh, important thing I could do. And if you try to silence me, that is fascism. Yes. I mean, the notion that it my joke about faggots worked so well in 2006 if it doesn't work now it is because of a slow march of like fascism that we need to be worried about to be fair i've been watching a lot of seinfeld and now i think it's true some men do be like this whereas women often be like that you know that is i do often think sometimes men do be like this and women do be like that. Uh, boys um, to assuage some of my inner demons over the week last weekend, I watched all, to my knowledge, all of the unaired pilots that are on YouTube. And Whoa. it was such a dazzling wasteland of people giving you the joke that they thought that they were supposed to give you. Also, would you like to know how many comic book stores had a hot girl come and uh, buy something? or come to work at them, a lot of Wait, comic Wait, guys, that is such a good idea. Yes. It was- What was, I'm sorry, do you feel comfortable saying kind of which one was maybe your favorite or least favorite or, or one that stuck out? I'm sure uh, some of them are with people we know, so I don't want you to No, have I to... mean, the, the fact that some of them, fucking Jeffrey Joseph in a pilot with a pre-Murphy Brown Faith Ford and Penelope Ann Miller. One thing that was really interesting to watch is- I have never seen the film Kiss Me Guido, but CBS, in the wake of Will and Grace, attempted to do a Kiss Me Guido pilot with Jason Bateman as uh, the white gay. Because, of course, in you know, 2001, we couldn't cast a gay as gay. But Alec Mappa plays the Jack role, and it is like fun and del- it, it's just fun and delightful to watch. And it's fun and delightful to think about these people who booked a pilot. And sometimes with like good big names behind them and really thought things were going to happen. And this this yeah. one event is all that they got. I always think about that with the, you know how they made the corrections into an HBO pilot? Oh, no, I didn't know that. Like the Jonathan Franzen, it is, it's with, uh, oh, Noah Baumbach. Oh, whoa. So they made the corrections into an HBO pilot directed by Noah Baumbach. And I know it was with, I at least know that Ewan McGregor was in it because I heard him talk about it in an interview. But yeah, it just like they they stopped filming the pilot halfway through and then it has never been seen or released. And this was in 2015. That's I think. insane. I know. And it just like, I you know, my own personal taste or preferences aside, like that is a perfect 
equation of it's like, oh, you're taking a Jonathan Franzen book, you're making it into a Noah Baumbach miniseries for HBO starring all A-list actors. How could it possibly be so disastrous that they're literally stopping it halfway through and never picking it up again? I mean, you have to, I have to imagine that part of that is regime change at HBO. Yeah. But that yeah. honestly can't be enough. Some shit had to have gone down. That's fascinating. I know it's crazy, but have you guys seen clips from the uh, American Ab Fab? Oh, oh, yes. that's so. <laughs> Wait, rough. who plays the two women? Wait, I'm trying. It's Catherine Hahn and uh, what's her name from Third Rock from the Sun? Oh my God! Yes, I have seen clips of it. Oh wow! Yeah, it's oh. so bizarre. Um, but George, do you know about the BB Newworth pilot that won an Oscar? No. Uh, I had always assumed it was an hour long. It's called Dear Diary. It's a single cam from the early 90s. It was a fucking half hour sitcom pilot. It's not sitcom-y. It is very sort of like filmy, but they just introed it. Uh, they uh, submitted it as a short film and it won uh, the best short film Oscar. <laughs> oh my God, that's crazy. Weird. Huh. Huh. I'm like, wait, we've been going forever. Should we do our segment? Oh, fuck. We didn't do our first segment. Sure. Why not? <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay, guy. Our first segment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we okay. We like to be free on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. We like to be unstructured and sort of just follow what happens. Sure. And then, you know, but there's a light structure we like to follow. And then sometimes when we are genuinely just like having a conversation, it feels insane to jump back to it. But we have never not jumped back to it. So it feels weird to skip it. But this. Thank you for that explanation. I'm just saying, I feel so weird bringing this up right now. It feels like one of the most unnatural things we could do. I know. But you know what? We're going to get into it and it's going to be great. Okay, great. Guy, our first segment is called Straight Shooters. And this is a segment where we. Test your familiarity with straight culture by asking you a series of rapid fire questions where you have to pick one or the other. And you're not allowed to ask any follow up questions. And your first question is Guy, going to a fish concert or going to a fish market? Fish market. Guy, manifest destiny or taking the megabus to DC? Oh, manifest destiny. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. <laughs> Guy, California's Prop 8 or Indiana's whole vibe? <laughs> I'll take California's Prop 8. Like, we, um, we shut it down with our constitution. Yeah, We shut it down with those uh, photo shoots where everyone said, no hate. No hate. Girls, we shut it down. Um, guy, aloe vera or Michael Sarah? Oh, aloe vera, 100%. Having a viral tweet or having one single unexpressed thought? <laughs> um, having a viral tweet, 100%. Okay, having a sharp wit or having a bubble butt? <laughs> oh, bubble butt. Guy, fantasizing about your wedding ever since you were a little girl or killing every feminine part of you in order to survive as a little boy? <laughs> killing every feminine part of me to survive. Okay, guy, um, being a gay guy who is proud to not watch Drag Race, being a gay guy who is proud to not watch Real Housewives, or being a gay guy who is proud of nothing and only feels shame. Uh, being a gay guy who is proud of nothing and only feels shame. Yes, representation matters. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. wow. I think Guy did great. 100%. I, 100%. 1,000 doves. 1,000 doves. <laughs> wow, um, I have to say. Um, that actually right, helped me. That actually helped me too. And I also realized my, also, the only place. The, sorry, go ahead. 
I think only place my psychotic energy today was positive is in writing these because as I was reading back and I was like, wow, I really put all my trauma into this writing project of writing four straight shooters. And this is some of the best writing I've done this week. I really feel like the, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just like, like secluding myself, but I feel like the gay guys who are proud of themselves for not watching Drag Race or Housewives has is just like withering and going. I feel like it's it's all been replaced by socialism. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, there's still like um, you know small factions out there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's lessening for sure. It's becoming unpopular to. I mean, you know what would be nice is if there was actually. It feels like it's so difficult with cult with the internet to kind of be part of any counterculture like everything is pop culture and so it's Mm -hmm. very it's like i don't know i'm conflicted about this because on the one hand you know drag race is so fun on the other hand it would be nice if there was a world in which it didn't dominate all of drag nationally and internationally yes you know george uh not to sound like reed's book once but um actually you know this book i read today um dealt just with that sort of really the monoculture of internet and how uh, we all are washed together and there's too many opinions and we have to go to the lowest common denominator of uh, stuff well on the one hand there is no monoculture anymore because everything is kind of like it's like everything that could possibly exist is immediately uh, stolen, marketed, and sold back to people, and everyone is in their own little niche and engaged in their own little niche debates. But on the other hand, there is one big monoculture, which is just vaguely internet pop culture. Well, there's the weird way that like niches from 10 years ago are now titans because they are things that we can still go to, where things have now, I mean... It's just a lot of streaming services, you guys. I know. It's nonstop. Also, we've gotten to the point where I'm sorry to be... I know that rebooting things is like whatever. You know, it's not even interesting to comment on anymore. But we're now rebooting like things that were never successful or popular to begin yeah. with. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, the, the comfort that they take in that of just being like, oh, they they want some more mad about yous. Um, <laughs> I truly don't understand can i offer you the the lone counterculture we still have yes uh it's emily in paris's self-doubt those moments when emily in paris is actively wondering am i fitting in here do the people here like me like that is something that is pushing against the dominance and it's what we have that's true there is one part of emily in paris where she says something along the lines of like Oh God, it's like someone says something in French and then someone, and then Emily understands it. Like he thinks she doesn't understand it, but she does. And what he, and she goes, oh, you just said I'm pretty, but have no personality. Huh? It's like something along those lines. And as the audience, you're supposed to be on her side rather than being like, yes. Like the entire (laughs) premise of the show is that you are pretty and have no personality. And in fact, the entire, the, the narrative arc of the show is that you're kind of owning that and literally being like, yeah. I don't give a fuck if you guys have culture here or if you're like a really hot, chic, older woman that I work with. I'm here to do mattress ads in the middle of the Louvre. Yeah. Yeah. Learning that like when you watered down what that premise is, it's Emily is trying to colonize France. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, and also that like 
the dream is no longer I'm Carrie Bradshaw. The dream is no longer I'm an actress or a writer. The dream is marketing. <laughs> exactly. No, you're so right, guy. It really that is that is the saddest thing of all. Is like you hear young people um, regurgitating literally like marketing. Like you know what's really upsetting is when people call themselves content creators. I was just going to bring that up. I was literally just going to bring that up. When, <laughs> like content used to be like a dirty word and we kind of like know it was a dirty word. And now like people use it like lovingly. Like it's yes. like, I love your content. Like, oh, not just that, but the people are like, as a queer content creator, I yeah. need to hold space. And it's like, <laughs> we all know this is a bad word, right? Like this sucks. I'm like, this is too, we're all being too real. Guy, normally we're funny. I swear. <laughs> Guy, as a queer content creator, what kind of content do you wish you could see more of? I have been, like, absent from the creation of content. I am withholding to myself. I am in this apartment and as little as possible is leaving. (laughs) I love that. That's taking up space. Oh, God. No, you're so right, though, that literally the artistic dream is to work in marketing Mm -hmm. for yourself. It's disgusting. It's We're a numbers-based society now. It's disgusting. We're at zero one zero one zero zero one one. That's what I. That's I, you go out there. You go out there in the clubs and you meet young people and they look at you and they say zero zero one one. Yeah. What are What are your numbers? What are your stats? And I say, hey, my stats are human. Yeah, and I say, yeah, I wrote a poem, and they say, what's uh, okay? Yeah, what what's is point? it for? Um, hymns. Yeah. Exactly. Disgusting. Disgusting. This society. Fuck. Should we get into our topic? Yeah, okay. I mean, we're um, an hour in. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think we have to. You know, I think the topic, honestly, I think it relates to so much because in many ways, everyone is constantly participating in various role-playing games. Yes. Um, Guy, you you brought us um, many, many topics, but the one we decided on today was tabletop role-playing games. Yes. Your pencil and paper role-playing games. Now, Guy, why would you want to put us through the experience of talking about tabletop role-playing games? (laughs) Um, Because straight people have deficits in capacity for which we should not judge them. We should embrace their efforts to move beyond them. And yes, yes, straight people are allowed to live, particularly straight men, live in the fiction of a unified identity like live in the fiction of a fixed self and tabletop Mm role-playing games are their attempts to push back at those boundaries. um, But with a number of strictures that make them feel more comfortable, basically tabletop role-playing games are musical theater for straight men, but instead of songs Mm -hmm. breaking up at the moments of heightened experience, instead of going to song, they go to math. They go to um, a system of random number generators and then um, long mathematical calculations that allow them to discover whether uh, their dreams within this imagined space will come true. Things that a gay child would be able to do with simply a meadow or uh, his mom's tampon, they require several books of rules and then uh, some dice and and, uh, like accounting. Right, it's like escaping via more rules. Yes, it, it's yes. the opposite of the of the queer experience, which is like, oh no, everything is so rigid. I wish I could liberate myself. They're like, oh god, the world is too nuanced. We have to be 
you know, I wish I was a warlock. Yes. Uh, okay. The thing that amazes me most about people, like, when straight guys play role-playing games and they're a fighter, I'm always like, you could just go get an axe in real life. Like, you don't even want to be able to, like, cast a spell or turn into a werewolf. You just want to do this. But I think that there's a straight hunger for orthopraxis. There's a straight uh, hunger to know that you are doing things correctly and within yes. the boundaries that have been established um and sort of more structureless creative play uh could leave them in a place of uncertainty they could get psychological the bends as it were mm-hmm. you know this brings up a good point of like doing things in imagination that you could just do in real life i feel this way about um pokemon the video game a lot where it's like wait a minute like these exist, they're just animals. Like, you could go bird watch for the day, and that's pretty much the same thing. Like, yes, they don't fight each other afterwards, but... I did not expect you to come out in favor of bird watching in this episode. <laughs> I guess it was the Jonathan Franzen uh, talk that really got you there. George, not to be Reed's book once, but... You know, <laughs> oh my God, are you now going to get into bird watching? <laughs> this book I read, you know, she really made bird watching sound Oh, incredible. she loves bird watching. I think I knew that. <laughs> Wait, okay, along these lines, I do want to say also, there's this desire to like relate to a to something outside of yourself, which normally one could do with like, let's say literature. Uh-huh. Rather than create it's like you don't have to create a character that is your persona and you and have just just read something or watch something and you can kind of go between different people's subjectivities. Oh, that's very interesting. I never thought about tabletop role playing games that way, but they really are just battling Mary Sue's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God, no, it is um devastating, and I also do think. I mean, you know, Gabe Liebman has that <laughs> joke where he's talking about Game of Thrones, about the genre of fantasy, and he's like, everyone knows the fantasy, you know, the fantasy, like everything in the yeah. genre of fantasy looks the same. It's like yeah. vaguely medieval, and then there are like, and then there just is anal sex, <laughs> and also the kind of um, uh, power dynamics of the patriarchy just recreate themselves despite the fact that it's a fantasy. Also, a medieval world that's wider than the actual medieval world. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Have either of you participated in a tabletop role-playing game? I've been close. <laughs> what does close mean? Close means, you know, I was in middle school and I remember like, if you hang out with sort of the video gamey kids, you like, there's like, like, you know, I, I got like a Magic the Gathering card uh, set for a second. Like, I was like, okay, what am I going to get into at this age of like 10 and moving forward? Uh, and there was like my older friend who's, you know, one year older than me, he was getting into Dungeons and Dragons and he was really selling it. And I was like, you know what? I do want to do this. Uh, let me know when you're ready. And then it just never happened. And I really think I dodged a bullet because I would have gone all in. Huh. My commitment to queering spaces was present over a decade before I ever kissed a man. Um, so I took this situation where straight guys socially socialize with each other and fantasize within uh, structured boundaries. Um, and I made it queer by not involving anyone else in in my practice. It was role-playing game onanism. I got the books uh, for Middle Earth role-playing game, read them, 
and spent all of my time like I remember at the end of football season, I would just like sigh and be like, there are three hours to sit in my room and just like, like draw castles and uh, come up with uh, stats for fictitious characters. And that would just you know, carry me on through Christmas. Um, so it wasn't until I was like in Los Angeles that I ever got to play a Dungeons and Dragons game, and I loved it. And then uh, our our friend Jared Logan, comedian Jared Logan, he during quarantine has been running games um, on Twitch uh, through this thing called Stream of Blood. And he does not do Dungeons and Dragons. He does a Call of Cthulhu based game, which was sort of like nineteenth century. Um, you know, some sort of mysterious horror is going on, and you have to investigate it. And I have been playing as Lady Hypatia Montague Bartlett Mob, um, and really just having a, a journey and a great time. It's everything I wanted when I was 15 come true some 30 years later. I did not expect the twist of you actually being very into tabletop role-playing games. The way you were talking about it before was uh, with such scorn that I thought there's no way he's uh, gotten even close to this uh, magic. Um, and well, here you're all in. Uh, didn't you just ask me, uh, gays who pretend they don't like Dungeons and Dragons, or gays who pretend they don't like Drag Race, gays who pretend they don't like Real Housewives, or gays who have pride in nothing? Um, yes, that's right. Uh, Correct. Like, uh, I. It's <laughs> like, it's so much fun, and it is something um, that... It is interestingly queer while being so rooted in straight culture. Like, I can see that. It, yeah. I mean, alternative worlds are queer, of course. But but there is this way that they cling to their own identity. Like, I am one of the only people, one of the only men who plays across gender. Um, like, Jackie Cation played as a man, but everybody else is just sort of like who do I want to be is so fixed with yes. these constraints of like a slightly different kind of straight guy. Right. Um, that is charming, but it like, I mean, well, it, it's, 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 it's rooted in like self-improvement rather than drag. It's like pe people yeah. are looking for better. People are looking for like more acceptable versions of themselves rather than wanting to escape their identity altogether. And there's also this way when I was, I was thinking about this. And one of the things that's interesting is that, um, it separates mind from body in a way that I think, like, I have an unmasterable fat body that I never felt capable of sort of, like, constraining or controlling in a way that I think is deeply queer to integrate control and modification of your body with exploration of other identities. And mm -hmm. for me, having it be a strictly sort of uh, academic game um, some could call it straight. Some could simply call it the E.M. Forster side of gay. Um, wow. <laughs> I've also never really understood how these games work in the sense that there's like, like the person in charge, like the, the person leading the dungeon master, if you will. Dungeon like master. Kind of just like, like there aren't rules for them, right? They can kind of just do whatever. I mean, they are constrained by the rules of how interactions will work. Like, 
who's stronger. Like Dungeons and Dragons, like the thing is, is whether play is oriented towards we are constantly fighting and we are constantly using these statistical rules or whether it is a more open sort of, oh, I've answered a way, I've answered a problem in a way you didn't think about until now, but can you as an operating human being like receive that? A, a video game doesn't have possibility for that. I will say that like tabletop role-playing games are queer in that they are a game night and like a rare, very tentative forum for straight men to host parties, beta straight men um, to host parties, which doesn't go well. <laughs> um, but yeah. for example, so there was a situation in a game where essentially to stop this big bad god um one needed a piece of lead or something with lead to write something on and then drop it in a certain situation now a lot of people would have just gone oh let me roll to see if i remember to bring something that was lead or something like that and i was like i'm a woman in the 19th century my face powder has a lot of lead in it can i use that and I had a wonderful dungeon master who was able to like react in that moment to that. And like, it is improv for dorks. And I love it. Improv for dorks, implying that improv, of course, is for the jocks and the cool kids. Yeah, sort of punk rock uh, lifestyle. All right, let me restate. Um, <laughs> it is improv for the sadder. Mm, yeah. Are you boys uncomfortable that I expressed appreciation for something we were supposed to be simply derisive towards? Um, do we not I mean, understand the, like, are, are we discomforted by camp? No, we're not discomforted. No, it's true. Camp. Look, I'm, you know, I'm wearing a Samwise Gamgee t-shirt. I understand <laughs> things. Uh, you know, a, a previous uh, pillar of this podcast was uh, don't, it's bad to like anything. Um, it shows weakness um, and it is tasteless. But, you know, I think what you're doing is extremely brave. Uh, and I definitely didn't see it going this way. No, I think I love it. And I also think, you know, we have to be, if we're comfortable with uncertainty and if we are deriding others for needing a set of rules to stick by, then we certainly need to be comfortable with uh, having a kind of like an expansive definition of, of what of what our attitude towards the topic must be. And I also want to say, Guy, um, famously, you ha- ha- articulated once one of my favorite definitions of camp, which is to pretend to do something as you do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I do think, I'm sorry to say, uh, and Sam, I hope you'll agree that our attitude with this podcast is very much pretending to do it as we do it yeah yeah that's a hundred percent what this it is a hundred percent what it is and once guy articulated that um it really i've never looked back and i i that is that is the kind of ethos with which i approach all of my work wow well that was insane when you put it so simply it it makes it almost feel unoriginal. Uh, you know, I've I've always felt felt like we were doing something sort of new and fun by uh, both pretending to host a podcast, making fun of hosting a podcast, and hosting a podcast. Whereas in fact, we were actually doing camp. We were just <laughs> we were, which is almost sort of a simple gay um, approach. Can I have a brief aside to say uh, I'm working on a show where we're auditioning ten year olds and little ten year old girls, and they have to say. 
are you teaching me what camp is again? And so clearly <laughs> all of their mothers have tried to explain to them that they need to uh, parenthesize, put in quotes, the idea of camp that literally no little girl has said it without stopping full stop after the word camp and then rebeginning her sentence. And then finally there was a little girl who went, are you teaching us what camp is again? And I was like, she punched it with her eyes. Just hire her. Just hire her. Oh God, wow. God! It's so nice to be in a place where I hear the word, where the sentence, we're auditioning ten-year-old girls, and immediately I'm like, "Can I audition?" <laughs> I know. I'm like, "Wait, I." Can't. I'm like, I was like, "Wait, why didn't you reach out to me?" No, Is it because my agent quit? <laughs> I think it's so messed up that we use actual child actors. It should obviously be thirty-something gay men in sort of child drag. I do think specifically for child actors, it should be gay men in child drag. <laughs> I mean, Spanish language television for a very long time would just put a 37-year-old man in a long curly wig, give him a lollipop, and be like, go for it. It is just, it's such a an indictment of the lack of imagination in general across the board um, in Western culture that, like, we just expect the actors to look like the characters. No one can be like, yes, we're going to cast, you know, um, B.B. Newworth as... Um, a, a, a very kind of like sexy cat. <laughs> you know, George, I love it when you go off on Western culture. Thank sorry, you. God, what were you going to say? <laughs> oh, just, I'm sorry. We've had the most non-naturalistic apartments for the past 30 years. Like, yeah, just do that with people. Yeah, do it with people. <laughs> Why isn't Carrie Bradshaw played by Clive Owen? <laughs> imagination. Unbelievable. Also, you know, <laughs> reads book once. Um, oh, God, here we go again. <laughs> There was a point in this book where she literally was like, um, and then it hit me. And I was like, wait, you were sitting at a computer and literally like Carrie Bradshaw wrote like, and then it hit me. Like, how can you have the self-awareness and do that? But, you know, she's too focused on unplugging that she forgot to watch all of Sex and the City. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would also say there's great beauty to lack of self-awareness. And the problem with Clive Owen playing Carrie Bradshaw is he would be half-assedly going, look at me, I'm playing Carrie Bradshaw the whole yeah. time. And we need more ladies who wrote that book that you read to just be able to like flow into it and not question themselves and commit. Yeah. I definitely, you know, when we talked about this earlier, I think we should definitely have more non-actors be acting. Now that's what I want to see. I agree. I when agree. Someone's good at acting. It's like boring. It's like the same as when people are good at singing. It, I, it puts me to sleep. Let's. I mean, I have to say. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say, let's nomad land a multicam. I was literally yes. I was <laughs> literally thinking like something along those lines. Absolutely. Like get all those nomads. Yes, they gave heartbreaking performances along Francis McDormand. But what if they are the stars of ABC's Mom's Not Coming Home today? <laughs> All right. Um, well, we should do our final segment. We should do our final segment. I mean, believe it or not, I don't have anything ready. Do you, Sam? Well, of course not. But that's uh, what's so beautiful about this segment. I'm gonna like take it. But anyway, so, so so the final segment guy is called um, shoutouts, and it is where we pay homage to one of the classic elements of straight culture, which is the radio shoutout. Think TRL in the early 2000s. Think Z100. And and Sam, do you want to give it a shot? Wait, but you said you had one. Oh, fine. Well, okay. <laughs> 
Okay, what's up, listeners? So my original shout-out was to the idea of being normal, because I've been noticing that a lot of people have been acting not normal lately, and I actually think... I see where you're coming from. It is interesting to be different, but I also think it's very useful to start at a baseline of normal so that then you can kind of build a personality on top of that. And what I've been seeing recently is people just being completely unhinged on purpose um, as a replacement for a personality. And I think that that's wrong. So my shout out is to the idea of being normal or at least attempting to build a groundwork on which to build your lack of normality. Woo! Um, woo! <laughs> um... Okay, what's up, listeners? I may have done a shout-out to this before, but it bears repeating because it happens, you know, it's kind of like Haley's Comet. It's once every, I don't know, 70-something? How often does that thing come? Uh, 70-something years. Um, I want to give a shout-out to that feeling when you finish a book, baby. <laughs> That's right, she's still got it. I can focus for that long. Yes, I started this book in July. Yes, I put it down for a long time. But you know what? I got another book and I said, well, I can't start it until I finish that old one. And so I finished the old one much, much later. I'm the smartest person alive. No one can even come close. Woo! I have to say, I, you've inspired me to now actually read this book next. After I finish my um, book of short stories by Deborah Eisenberg. <laughs> yeah, well, once you finish it, you know, definitely start it. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, Guy, whenever you're ready. Okay, I do a shout-out? Yes. Yeah. Hey, guys, I just want to do a shout-out to my good friend, Famous People's Children. This has been such a big year for Famous People's Children. <laughs> they are killing it. They are getting cast in TV shows. They are getting their pilots greenlit. I just want to say, keep destroying 2021, Famous People's Children. <laughs> woo! Yes, woo! Go, Cassie! Yes, that was incredible. I. They are our nation's royalty, and I love them for that. Me too. I mean, talk about, I mean, Emily in Paris, she's Phil Collins' daughter. And we love her for it. And we love her for it. And you know what? She wouldn't be as talented if she was someone random's daughter. <laughs> Imagine if she was the mold uh, remediator's daughter. I don't think she'd be an Emily in Paris. Let's just say I'm that. I'm sorry, but the mold remediator's daughter sounds like the most incredibly moving book I've ever read. And you know, and you know, it's already being, it, you know, it's already being developed into a miniseries. Starring Annette Benning as the Mulder Mediator's widow, who's raising the daughter alone. Oh my god. Wow. I want this so badly. <laughs> Wait, I maybe that would be maybe that would finally be Annette Benning's um and you know what, I take it back. It's not a miniseries, it's a movie, because she needs an Oscar. Yeah. Um and wow. surprise, the daughter is in fact um Emily in Paris. <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, we simply must wrap up. We must wrap up. But guy, um, thank you so much for doing this. What a treat. Thank you. Truly what a treat.